Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Um, if you're here for the first time, we really appreciate you stepping out. I know it's hard to step into a, a new place. If you're joining us online, also, thank you for being with us. So a number of years ago, when I was a missionary with Campus Crusade, I, I applied to go overseas for a year to Turkey. And I had a um, number of people that I was going to room with, and I had thought this through, and I prayed and felt like God was leading me, and so I sent off my application, and oh, maybe uh, six, eight weeks later, I got a letter that started like this, thank you for your application, you have many strengths, blah, 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 but what word came next? But, you've gotten one of those letters, haven't you? But, after prayerful consideration, we don't think this is a good time for you to go overseas. I was devastated. I was mad. I had gotten a no from God. I'll tell you at the end of the sermon how that all plays out. But I raise it because I'm guessing I'm not the only one in here who's gotten a no from God. Maybe it wasn't an application, but maybe it was a loved one who was sick. And you were praying. I mean, you're praying for all you're worth. And it didn't get better or it's not getting better. Or maybe it's a job you wanted. You prayed and prayed and prayed. You didn't get it. Maybe you're single. And you've been praying to get married. And it, man, it's not, it's not happening. Maybe you're married. And you want to have kids. And it's just been elusive. Maybe you've got a conflicted relationship with a child, a parent, a kid. You prayed and prayed. And man, it's, it's conflicted. The no is ever a part of your life. Do we have any hope? When God says no, I think we do, and I want to talk about that today. So you got a Bible, if you'd open it to 2 Samuel, chapter 7. We're going to go through this chapter, and we're going to wrestle with the question, what's our hope when God says no? What's our hope when God says no? If you haven't been with us, we have in a sermon series called Reliant, where we are learning from the people of Israel to rely on God. And they're a great example of people who failed. Uh, they got in the promised land, and they said, you know what, we really need, we need a king. We need a king to be secure. And God said, no, you really don't need a king. You really need me. No, 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 we need a king. So we went back and forth, and finally God said to the prophet Samuel, tell you what, we're going to give them their wish. We're going to give them their king, and they're going to find out what they really need is me. So the first guy, the king's name was Saul. Uh, he didn't do well. He was anointed. When he was anointed, it's like, you don't have absolute autonomy. He thought he did. A couple times he told God no, and God said, we're moving on. He raised up another king. Uh, his name was David. I don't know that Saul recognized David was king, but he recognized David's growing popularity, and he was threatened by him. And for anywhere from 10 to 13 years, depending on how you look at it, he chased David around, hoping to end his life. But God protected David, and in the end, Saul dies in battle. Uh, there's a civil war. Finally, David's power is solidified, and he's installed as king. And that's where we are right now. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, says this. Now it came about when the king lived in his house, that's David, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. And I remember the king of Hiram, we found out last week, came down, he sent materials, he sent carpenters, I'm going to build you a house. And David said, I'm living good. But the ark of the covenant, man, it's just going around in a tent. I think I'm going to build a, build a house for God, that, that ark, the temple. 
Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. So they, I, I thought this was a no. That's an affirmation. Go for it, says the prophet. However, in verse 4, we get our word again. But in the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, go and say to my servant David, thus says the Lord, are you the one who should build me a house to dwell in? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. You're not going to be the guy. In fact, it will be David's son, Solomon, who will build it. We will later on find out that there was a lot going on in David's life, and part of the problem was that David was a man of bloodshed. But God doesn't say that right now. He says a couple things. He says, verse 6, For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle. Hey, I've always been housed in a tabernacle. It's no thing. No problem. Verse 7, wherever I have gone with all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, which I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Let's say, I, I've never asked. Never asked for a house. Never asked for a temple. I don't need one. So now David has his, no. No. And God will pivot from David building a house for God to God building a house for David. That's where we are in verse 8. It says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, that title is indicative of one who can bring change, as I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. That was the lowest of the socioeconomic status, and now you're king. I, I, I can bring change. I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name like the names of the great men who are on earth. David, I, I made you king, but dude, I'm just getting started. I'm going to make you one of the greats of history. Really? What's that going to look like? Well, verse 10. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly, even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. David, I'm going to take my people Israel to a place that's safe. This is indicative of the promise God made to Abraham when he said, I'm going to bless you, but I'm going to bless the people through you. That's exactly what's going on here. God said, David, I'm going to bless you, but I'm going to bless the people through you. He says, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Then he switches to the third person at the end of verse 11. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. Going to third person. I'm going to do this for you, David. I'm going to make a house for you. Well, man, what's that going to look like? When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, i.e. you die, pass away, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And we understand from the New Testament that Jesus is the completion of this. Galatians 3.16 says Jesus is the line of Abraham, Jesus is the line of David. He is the completion of this. Long after David's died, his family legacy will be going on. Now, God speaks to how he will treat the people of David's line. He says, I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. 
I moved on from Saul. I will not move on from you, David. I, I will discipline people of your line. I will correct them. This is God speaking directly to David through the prophet Nathan in verses 16 and 17. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to God. God, I want to build a house for you. It's in my heart. Nope. Nope. You're not the guy. In fact, it'll be Solomon who does it. But I got something to tell you, David. You're not going to build a house for me, but I'm going to build a house for you. And you're going to have a legacy that is eternal. Because one of your sons, Jesus, will build an eternal kingdom. Whoa. I mean, David didn't. I thought he was building a house for God. Now he finds out his name's going to be going on forever. How do you respond to that? Well, David tries in verse 18. Then David the king went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you brought me this far? Why would you pick me? Really, me? Me? To build an eternal kingdom? Who am I? If you're a person in here who knows Jesus as Savior, you understand your sins have been forgiven by him, that, this is an appropriate prayer for us. Who am I? Who am I that you would die for me? When we understand the depth of what Jesus has done for us. The only way to respond is, who am I that you would die for me? And, and that's David's attitude. Why would you pick me? David goes on, and yet this was insignificant in your eyes, O Lord God, for you have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future. You're speaking of thousands of years in the future, and that's no thing for you, God. That sets you apart from humanity. So I want to get your thoughts on the presidential election, but not the 2024, the 2032 election. Who do you think is going to run in that election? Well, we don't have a clue, do we? Or the 2040 election or the 2060? I mean, we, don't, we have no, no idea. God knows. That's no thing for him to call out those candidates. That's the difference between us and God. And, and the last part of that verse is a little hard to translate, and this is the custom of, man, oh Lord God, is this a call to learn that, 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 that God is different from us? Well, David goes on in verse 20, and what more can David say to you? Not much, for you know your servant, O Lord God. For the sake of your word and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness to let your servant know. David then proclaims the greatness of God in verse 22. For this reason you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you according to all that we have heard with our ears. There's no one, no one like you. And then David speaks to God's relationship to the people of Israel. He says, and what one nation on the earth is like your people, Israel, whom God has went to redeem for himself as a people and to make a name for himself, do a great thing for you and awesome things for your land and before your people whom you have redeemed for yourself from Egypt, from nations and their gods. For you have established for yourself your people, Israel, as your own people forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God. David speaks to the nation of Israel, because that's the one through whom his blessing is coming. And here's what he says about them. 
middle of verse 23, he's going to make his name great through them. So you wonder why we stand up here every Sunday and pray that would be Christ in our community? Because that's God's MO. He calls a people to himself to make himself known. In the Old Testament, it was the nation of Israel. At Jesus' death and resurrection, that body changed to the church, a multinational, multi-ethnic group, but the same, a people God has called to himself to make himself known. God blesses for a reason, not that we would take it in and, and just warm ourselves in it. No, he blesses that we would make him known. Old Testament, or the New Testament teaches that God will work again through Israel. He's not done with them, but the principle is God calls a people and blesses a people to make himself known. That's why we're all about being Christ in our community. That's why we're praying for that, because we think that's the reason God has called not only this church, but every other church that proclaims the gospel in the city, state, and nation, and yes, even world. So, David has two requests of God. The first one is that he would confirm David's eternal legacy, and we see that in verses 25 to 27. It says, now therefore, O Lord God, the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and his house, confirm it forever, and do as you have spoken. Why? That your name may be magnified by forever by saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and may the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made a revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Second thing David prays is that God would bless his house. That's verses 28 and 29. Now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are truth, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord, God, have spoken, and with your blessing, may the house of your servant be blessed forever. How did we start this passage? David wanted to build a house for God, and God said, no, not happening. Well, that's a bummer. God must really be down on David if he'd give him a no. No, that's not it. David, I, that's, that's a no on that. But I got something really good to tell you. I'm going to build you a house that's going to go forever. And I'm going to advance my name through that house. See, we're asking this question, what's our hope when God says no? God's no? It's rooted in his goodness. And it's involved in him advancing his name. God's no, the no that you received, that I received, it's rooted in his goodness. That doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. doesn't mean it's painful. It doesn't mean we don't understand. But it's rooted in his goodness. And it's redeemed because he's going to advance his name through that no. You know who else got to know? You're not the only one. I'm not the only one. You know who else got to know? Jesus got to know. Right before he went to the cross, here's his prayer. And he, Jesus, was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Isn't that what we believe about God? Everything's possible. So if that's the case, uh, remove this cup from me. I don't want to go to the cross. Could you just remove that Hummer? Yet not what I will, but what you will. You know how God the Father answered that? No, no. You got to go to the cross. That's not what Jesus wanted, but he got to know. You know what the Father did with that? No, here's what he did. Philippians 2. 
Talking about Jesus being found in appearance as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death. There's our crucifixion, even death on a cross. What does God do with that? For this reason, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow, those who are heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know what God the Father did with that? So Jesus, I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to purchase the salvation of a world of people. And oh, by the way, your name's going to be exalted forever. And even those that denied you in this world, they're going to bow the knee. And they're going to confess that you are God. That's what he did with his no to Jesus. It was rooted in his goodness, and he used it to advance his kingdom. So, Here's what I want to ask about now. I want to ask about your no. You know, you prayed for that loved one, and you prayed and you prayed, and they didn't get better, and they've passed away or they're passing away. Now, look, I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying the tears aren't coming. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that. That's human, okay? But in faith, can we know that's rooted in his goodness? And that illness and that death will be redeemed because God will use it to advance his name. Or how about the job or the graduate school that you didn't get into, the promotion you didn't get? It's not to say there's disappointment. There's not to say there's discouragement. But it's rooted in God's goodness. And he'll use it to advance his name. Man, maybe you've been single a long, long time. I've singled us 33. Brain, 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 brain. Man, nothing's happening. For now, at least, the answer is no. That no's rooted in God's goodness. And he'll use that condition you're in, that singleness, to advance his kingdom. Or maybe you are married, and it's, man, having a child. It's been elusive. We have two kids, but we have three miscarriages. I know that. And you're praying and praying and praying. It's no. It's rooted in his goodness. And he'll use it to advance his kingdom. Or that relationship, you know, with your kid or your coworker or your friend, it's just conflicted and you think you can get it solved and blows up. Why, God? I don't know why he's saying no. But it's rooted in his goodness. And he'll use that some way. He'll redeem it to advance his name. I could go on and on and on. It's easy when it's David's life, isn't it? Or it's Jesus. But I'm talking yours and mine when it's no. Can we believe that it's rooted in God's goodness and it's being used to advance his kingdom? So let me go back to my no, if I might. So I get my no. And to this point, my attitude is I got God I got the Bible, I got the Holy Spirit, I don't need a counselor. But I'm in Fort Collins with Camp Crusade. There's a guy in the Boulder team who is trained under Larry Crabb. He's a Christian counselor. So I think I will go see him. We'll have one appointment, and he will evaluate me and realize you are so on balance. He will write a letter to our headquarters, and they will go, oh, we made a terrible decision, and they'll change their mind. So I went, and in five minutes, he locked into my relationship with my dad. 
And we went another 50 minutes. And I said, so, so, so what's next? And he says, well, I want you to come see me next week. I think, I'm not getting my letter here. But you know what? He'd said enough that he hooked me. And for the next 12 weeks, I saw that man. And we unpacked my conflicted relationship with my dad. At the end of it, you know what he told me? He said, Andy, God wants to be the father you never had. But I had to make you feel what you lost and understand the hurt you went through, that you would see your need for God. Let me tell you three things that I think have resulted in the time with my counselor. First, I'm still in ministry. I don't think I would have been. Part of my package was I was so performance-oriented, so stressed out. I just, ministry was just, I don't think I would be in. I think I would have blown up and washed out. But God had something else for me, like here, where I might be most strategic in advancing his kingdom. Second thing, if I hadn't been through that 12 weeks, I would have blown up a marriage. It would not have mattered who I married. It would not. What are the issues? Uh, it's too long. We don't have enough time to unpack them in this sermon. But I had stuff I needed to work through in a non-nurturing home that I would have carried and put on my spouse if I'd not worked them through. Third, relationship with my two sons. They're 24 and they're 21. They both live here in Lincoln outside the home. I have a meal with them every week. That was not modeled to me. When my dad came home, when I came home from college my freshman year, I was going to Texas A&M. They were living in Houston. He said, we're going to be moving to New Jersey. We'd like to have you go, but we understand if you stay. I thought, there's no decision here. I'm glad you'll be at a distance. That kind of relationship I didn't have with my dad. It was conflicted. And it sure wasn't modeled to me that I'd be connected to my sons. Last week, my younger son said, Dad, I don't think any of my friends are connected to their parents like I am to you and mom. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen if I don't go through the 12 weeks with that guy. Do you understand God's no to me was rooted in his goodness and advancing his kingdom? That's easy for me to say. I'm on the other side of it. But I'm telling you, and I understand it's hard, it's painful. The no you're living, you're experiencing right now is rooted in God's goodness. And he wants to work through that very no to move his kingdom forward through you. Would we take him at his word? Would we believe him? Let me pray that we might. So, Lord, we're grateful that David received a no. Uh, your uh, house of David, Jesus, he got a no, big no. Um, but we say the way that your no to David was rooted in goodness and moving your kingdom forward. And Lord, thank you that we can live in that assurance that um, though we don't understand and though it hurts sometimes and though the tears are there and the loneliness and the longing and the pain is, is legit and real, you're good. And you're redeeming that no to move your kingdom forward. Thank you that you're trustworthy. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.